Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The word of the Lord. I'm taking kids church kids to right now. So if you are between kinder and fourth grade, you're welcome to join me downstairs with Miss Lisa. Um, as we send the children, let us pray, Lord God, as the children go to have their own church downstairs, Lord, uh, plant your word in their hearts, Lord God. Just plant the seeds, water it, and may it land on good soil, Father. Um, thank you for these children, in Jesus' name. I'm excited because I get to say God is good all the time. God is good all the time. Ooh, I dreamed about that. It gives me energy. It gives me joy um, because it's true. God is good. And uh, just a question uh, for you guys. What season is this right now? What season? Winter. Winter? Oh, <laughs> wait a second. <laughs> Spring, yes. Lent, yes. The beginning of baseball season, yes. Um, yeah, you, there's a lot of answers to that. Um, but the church, we are, as a church, we're in the season of Lent, which is the 46 days leading up to um, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this week um, is, uh, this Sunday is usually traditionally called Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday, uh, depending on the liturgy that the church chooses. Uh, we are 
in Palm Sunday. The irony is that in Luke, so all, all four Gospels deal with the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Um, but Luke, actually the people don't lay down palms. There's no palms in Luke. So, and, and a lot of times we sing the song, you know, Hosanna, or some sort of Hosanna, because the people are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. But Luke also doesn't have Hosanna in it, the word Hosanna in it. So that's the irony. We're in Palm Sunday, but there's no palms in our current scripture passage, but we know what we're talking about. Just imagine kids, you know, waving their palm fronds around in the sanctuary. Um, Palm Sunday. We're in the season of Lent, and then we're about to enter. We're entering Holy Week, uh, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and then Resurrection Sunday. Um, And that's the rhythm that the church since ancient times, since Um, The days of the early church have been following that rhythm to celebrate, to remember um, the journey of Christ into his suffering and his death, and then the glory of his resurrection. And we enter into that rhythm. There's a lot of rhythms and seasons we we follow, right? A work season, sports seasons, season seasons. Uh, But the church follows... Um, Advent and Lent and Resurrection Sunday because we know that we orient our lives as a community uh, around Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God, amen? Not just our 40-hour work day or, you know, or, or work week, sorry, um, or whatever, our, our whatever, uh, you know, the stores, you know, with, their, with Christmas and whatever consumer things and commercials are out there. We orient our lives around Christ and his death and resurrection. Um, so that's just a good reminder. It's a reminder for me because I've been on sabbatical for three months, so, you know, I didn't necessarily attend church every Sunday, sorry to say, and uh, I'm kind of, you know, in terms of rhythm, I'm kind of, where are we? Uh, where I'm used to uh, Sunday to Sunday rhythm in my life, uh, it's more, it was more like Oh, get the kids to school, do my workout, do this, do this. Um, so um, that's that. Um, just a brief word on my sabbatical. Uh, learned a lot. Uh, I went in with a lot of ambition, like, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write, do some more poetry writing. I'm going to read 30 books. This is my book list. None of that happened. I didn't write a book. Um, I didn't even write much poetry. I never, I didn't get through my book lists. Um, but that is okay. I, and that was the lesson for me. God just saying, be, you know, whatever you're feeling guilty, why are you feeling guilty? You have nothing to do, nowhere to be, just be. I love you. And I think that's, that's the simple takeaway. Um, also, the opportunity to spend time with my family, right? Working doesn't, you know, excuse me from spending time with my family, being a father, being a husband, but being on sabbatical gave me a lot more white space to really invest and engage uh, without distraction. Um, In particular, you know, my son, he's in that age, right? He's 13, gonna go into high school next year. It's time is flying, the hormones are flying. You know, and he's wrestling through, you know, 
lots of feelings like rebellion. Uh, <laughs> so we had some really good conversations and I feel grateful to God for being able to build a foundation um, with him of a, a maturing relationship. And so that's cool. That was really cool. And then I got to be more healthy. You know, I worked out four times a week, Orange Theory Fitness, which got a, uh, my cardio going. Uh, I play Ultimate Frisbee a lot, so I got to play a lot more. Um, so being physically fit helped me and on my journey to beat diabetes, type 2 diabetes, and my blood sugar is way, way lower on a daily basis. So I'm really happy about that. I get to live longer, um, hopefully. And uh, so it's been good. And really, I'm looking for um, the fruit of this time of rest um, that is yet to come. And so, um, and longevity, you know, being in ministry for the long haul uh, was kind of the goal. And I think, I think some roots, some seeds were planted for that. So amen to that. Um, the irrelevant jersey is what my note says, the irrelevant jersey. Um, the other day I went to Goodwill because I like to thrift shop as a hobby, you know, when I want to have fun. I like to, you know, find the jewel, diamond in the rough, the jewel, like the $2 really nice shirt. Um, and so uh, thrift shopping is really good. But I was in um, Shoreline, uh, what was it? Shoreline Goodwill. And uh, I looked and I saw something caught my eye, and what it was was a Seahawks jersey. And sorry, I, you know, this is a sports analogy. Sorry, all of you people who don't like sports. Uh, but there was a Seahawks jersey, and guess whose Seahawks jersey it was? It was the number three, Russell Wilson. I was like, whoa, this is like blasphemous. How could there be such a valuable, at one point, Russell Wilson's Seahawks number three jersey was the top selling jersey in all of the NFL. And this, nice, it was in good shape, was in the thrift store. That means someone actually gave up the Russell Wilson jersey, right, to the thrift store. And it just was indicative of, wow, how fickle we are, fandom is, right? How fickle sports is. This very valuable jersey, this jersey that everyone used to wear, especially when the Seahawks were good and went to the Super Bowl two times in a row, and people who weren't even football fans became football fans in Seattle, and all of a sudden on Fridays, everyone's wearing blue jerseys, and you're like, what, what? I didn't know you were a Seahawks fan. Everyone jumped on the bandwagon, and now we've fallen so far from grace he gets traded away from Denver, and people are like giving away their jerseys. And you can buy them off the shelves at thrift store for $3. I don't know how much it was, but um, the irrelevant jersey, how fickle we are, how fickle the world of sports is, and who we praise, who we, who we lift up, who, who we admire. Um, I tell that story because Jesus' entrance, final entrance into Jerusalem on his way to the cross was about power and about glory. 
And it's about two stories, two narratives, narrative streams dealing with power. What is power? Who is powerful? Who controls? On the one side, you have society, culture, represented by the Roman Empire, represented by Caesar, represented by the religious elite, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. On the other side, you have Jesus and his followers, right, who've been teaching across the land, Jesus performing miracles and uh, raising up the dead and um, affirming and empowering the poor and healing people, affirming and empowering women. And these two streams are meeting in Jerusalem for the final kind of clash. And mind you, this was the Passover, and commentators talk about how during the Passover and the other religious festivals um, in Jerusalem, that the population of uh, Jerusalem would swell five times, because people in the uh, Jewish uh, diaspora, uh, diaspora would come, right? Would come into Jerusalem um, to go to the temple, to make their sacrifices, to celebrate the Passover and other religious festivals. So imagine, imagine if Seattle won the bid for the Olympics, right? Imagine what Seattle would be like, right? New stadiums being built, people coming in from all over, different nations and languages. Just imagine uh, tra what traffic would be like in Seattle, like, go away. Um, <laughs> just swollen. That's what Jerusalem is like. And so this is, into this kind of environment, Jesus who earlier has mentioned Jesus has his face set towards Jerusalem. Jesus is on a mission, right? A walk, a journey to the cross. And um, as a church during Lent, we are on this walk with them. We've been journeying um, on this fast um, towards the crucifixion. Jesus finally uh, gets to the Mount of Olives, which is a hill overlooking um, Jerusalem. And he's about to begin his descent in Jerusalem. And he looks to his disciples and he says, go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord had, has need of it. Um, and his disciples go, and it happens as Jesus predicted or commanded. The first thing that kind of I glean from this is, wouldn't it be awesome? Like, how many times does God, well, imagine waking up and God just speaking such precise, specific instructions to you. Like, all you have to do, David, is get up, Go over there, there's going to be a man in a red shirt named Michael with a green hat and say to him, come to church, renew church on 164th this Easter Sunday and he will come with you. It would be like, yes, that's so awesome. 
awesome. I dream of clear instructions and callings such as that. But no, it's like uh, there has to be doubt and a, a cloud of unknowing. And like, God, what are you saying? Did you say that? Maybe you did. Hey, reopening up my Bible. What did that scripture just say? What is God saying to me? But here Jesus is giving a very specific, right? Very specific. But the thing is, these specific instructions are weird, right? They're out of the ordinary. It's like, what? Why, why do that? That's, that's odd. That's embarrassing. And what does Jesus say? It's because the Lord has need of it. And maybe you find yourself, we find ourselves in places where we're obeying God. We're doing the will of God after you get through all the unclarity and the doubt, right? And it's affirmed. We're, we're doing the will of God. But why are we doing this? This is odd. This is unpopular. This is weird. Right? People hate me. My family says, why are you doing that? That's Stupid. Because the Lord has need of it. Amen? The Lord has need of it. And as followers of Jesus, sometimes we go against the grain. Sometimes we're swimming upstream. A lot of times we're square pegs in a round hole. And we don't fit in. And it's odd. Right? And I'm sure the disciples were like, oh, Okay, but they know enough. They went through the feeding of the 5,000. They went through the feeding of the 4,000. They saw Jesus walking on water. One of them almost walked on water before sinking. So they know when we listen to Jesus, it works. It happens. So we should obey him, but I don't know, right? It's like, are you going to do the Jedi mind trick thing? Right, I'm a Star Wars fan, so, you know, where Luke, you know, go, goes and Ben Kenobi, you will let us pass, right, and does the hand thing. Uh, will you, like, make this guy just give us his donkey for no reason? Where's the Jedi mind trick? And so, they go, and they do it, and they obey. And sometimes, that's the same for us as disciples of Jesus we don't know. It's weird. It's unorthodox. The instructions are odd. But the Lord has need of it. So the question is, if the Lord has need of it, are you ready to give it? Are you ready to do it? Are you ready to keep doing it? The second thing uh, that comes to mind is donkey. The, the donkey. Um, the donkey in my mind, and I've entitled this sermon the subversive entry uh, instead of the triumphant entry for various reasons. Uh, one, because triumphant and church and Christianity, I just don't like that combination, triumphalism, like, right? Christianity is great. Make the church great again. Right? It's, it's kind of like not tied to the right things in my mind. Um, whereas the subversive entry now, that's, that's something I can get behind. 
because there's a revolution happening here, right? It's not the way of power. It's the way of empowerment and peace, right? So the, the donkey is a type of animal. What do you think of when you think of donkey, right? Like Stubborn, Shrek donkey, right? Um, all of those things. A donkey is not glorious. It's not a magnificent creature. Isn't it supposed to be like a cross between a horse and a mule or something? Yeah, or a mule is a horse. <laughs> okay, anyways, well, a donkey is like not magnificent like a horse, um, maybe like a poor man's horse. When you think of donkey, you think of work, right? It's pulling some cart. It's, you know, doing, it's blue collar. It's doing like, you know, the grunt work, the ugly work. It's known for being stubborn. Um, and when you think of donkey in scripture, right, um, immediately we think of Balaam's donkey, right? Balaam's ass in the Old Testament, this, you know, stubbornly stopping and, um, and even talking, Right? And being irritating Balaam to the point that Balaam strikes the donkey. He's like, I will not go. And speaking a prophetic word. Um, right? Um, also, in the New Testament, Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, on, on the way out of Bethlehem, because they're being persecuted, because Jesus' life is in danger by King Herod, so they escape as refugees out of Bethlehem to Egypt, which ironically was where the people of Israel were fleeing from Egypt in reverse in the Old Testament, right? They're going to Egypt for a safe harbor, for a safe place. Um, the donkey is carrying. So in the night, this vehicle of salvation, this underground, you know, subversive donkey taking the first family to Egypt, we also think of the donkey maybe of the Good Samaritan story, right? The Good Samaritan was riding on a donkey when he's coming past. Um, and that story represents a person who you least think would be your neighbor. Would, you least think would be the one to touch you, to care for you. Um, where social mores make it almost impossible that that situation would happen actually is turned upside down, right? The unassuming, the unconventional. But the donkey is also tied to royalty in these days. Kings would ride into cities on donkeys, right? But what they represent is a time of peace. So when a king would enter a city after a war, they would come, as you would expect, gallantly riding on a horse. But when a king, uh, in a time of peace, oftentimes kings would ride in on a donkey. So there's that double meaning of, you know, this lowly, humble, unorthodox, stubborn, subversive donkey, and as a symbol of royal, royalty and peace the carrier of peace. So this is the image um, as Jesus is riding in to Jerusalem on a donkey. Um, are you with me, church? Two parts of the crowd, as he comes into the city, they chant, 
Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And this is echoing Psalm 118.26. Right? It's, a, you know, giving praise. It's a messianic psalm. Um, and then the second part, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And this is echoing uh, earlier in Luke chapter 2. Uh, 13 to 14, the proclamation of the angels at Jesus' birth. So both of these kind of quotes of scripture serve as a proclamation, proclaiming that Jesus is King Messiah, right? Jesus is Savior, Jesus is King, something special is happening here. Jesus is ushering in the kingdom of heaven, a new reality. And this is really going to piss the Pharisees off, right? The Pharisees come and say, what? Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. How, this is audacious. How, stop them. Get a hold of your people, right? They're making, they're putting you up on too high of a pedestal. You're no king. You're no Messiah. Settle down. Settle them down. And Jesus says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The stones will cry out. I heard a pastor online I forget who said this, who said, that would have been the greatest rock concert ever. <laughs> um, where was I? Uh, even the stones would shout out. Meaning, you can't, you can't stop this power the power and glory of God, right? The power of all creation. The power of the God of the universe. God's salvation work in the world. What God wants to do with the people he loves. You can't stop it. Even if you were to shut these people up, right? Tear up, you know, like burn all the Russell Wilson jerseys, all the Seahawks jerseys. Take away their fandom. Even if you were to do that, I would raise up the rocks. The rocks would shout and give praise. Amen? That's amazing. Everything, the cosmos, all of creation is leaning towards Jesus' march to the cross in this moment as he's entering Jerusalem. All of history, all of the prophets in Scripture pivots and have been pointing to Jesus entering Jerusalem, facing his torture, facing his death and ultimate resurrection. And we're also living in times when the world around us will say, this is alternative facts. This is fake news. This is not real. You should believe in the kings of the world. You should believe in the rulers of the countries, of the nations. Believe in the king that rides on a stallion with legions and legions of troops. 
There will be and there are at this moment kings and rulers in the world that would bring a sword to subjugate other nations and kill innocents. We know we've seen, all, we've all seen the images and heard the news um, of you, the people in Ukraine, you know, homes devastated, hospitals brought to the ground, you know, families separated, having to uh, leave their home, leave their country. And this is because of kings and rulers that would say, I, this is power. Are you with me, church? The tension is that in this moment, Jesus' disciples and fans are praising him and lifting him up as king. But days later, they will be chanting, chanting crucify him, crucify him. Even his own disciples will scatter in the, in the moment of his crucifixion. Another tension is that Jerusalem is both the place that crucifies Jesus in its own obstinance and unheeding, and at the same time is the place at the center of God's plan for, for salvation, right? It's the great pivot, the great plan, right? But Jesus, the savior of the world, the king is coming. He rides into the city on a donkey. Praise him. Shout out loud. Hosanna. Hosanna. Jesus is king. Bringing the Lord salvation. Bringing peace. Right? And they're shouting it. This is no quiet time. Hosanna. Hosanna. When we sing praise to God, we're in that tradition of singing praise to the king, right? Hosanna, Hosanna, glory in the highest. Praise God, the Lion of Judah. Where are you? Where are we in this tension? Are we praising? Do we praise and claim Jesus as followers one moment, but then deny him when he does not fulfill our expectations or it becomes uncomfortable? Will you be a fan or an Instagram follower of Jesus or a disciple? We are people of the donkey, amen? It's not pretty. It's not glorious. And in fact, we're pretty stubborn, obstinate people. We're to be disruptive people, noisy to the point of being obnoxious, counterintuitive, non-exemplary, unorthodox, ugly. Balaam's donkey enraged him. The first family's donkey the underground transport from persecution, the Samaritan's donkey, the aid from the neighbor least expected. On this Lenten journey, give a shout, amen? Claim King Jesus. But not just today or even a week 
from now during Easter. Like I said, some people say Easter is the Super Bowl of the church, right? After the Super Bowl, what happens? Not just during Easter, but every day of your life, every waking moment, and all the things you say and do in your work, in your vocation, at school, in the town squares, and the halls of the internet, among your family, sitting at family meals, among your coworkers, in your times of your hobbies, interacting with people in your neighborhood, at picnics, at barbecues, and especially now, I like to call it the Noah's Ark, right? <laughs> Noah sent out the dove, it came back with a twig. Noah sent out, was it a dove? A dove again? It didn't come back. Oh, it's time to come out. And that's how COVID's been like, right? Like, can we come out of the ark? Oh, the dove came back. The dove didn't come back. Oh, I gotta come out, vaccine. No mask mandate, I'm coming out. Ah. <laughs> like, what variation lurks just around the corner? Um, yeah, it's been hard. Well, why, why was I saying that again? <laughs> In every, oh, yeah, this time people are starting to come out, right, to seek community, to seek interaction. Our children, like, when they have play dates, they're like so excited and enthralled. And the parents are so excited, get out the house, like, go! Like, human interaction! Like, I'm so excited because it's like, that's what your mouth looks like. <laughs> it's like, I've never, I've only seen your eyes. Like, whoa. And I'm really excited, you know, prayerfully and like crossing our fingers and all of that and being cautious um, to see our church community face to face. Like, there's some people I haven't even met, you know? Like, they don't know who the pastor of this church is even. Like, like, I'm excited about that, meeting new people and seeing people gathered. But now is a special time, I think, to be witnesses, to be people of the donkey, to be courageous and brave, and to touch people as Jesus did, not out of violence, not to lord power over people, but to bring peace and humility and celebration and joy. The kingdom of God is here. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this community. Um, thank you for your journey to the cross and your sacrifice for us. And thank you that you are King Jesus, as the prophets declared. And as the people in the city praised and lifted your name up, may that ring true in our lives, in our community, in this church, in this neighborhood, in this world. And may, may your peace reign through the world over the voices of the tanks and the missiles and the bombs and those who would subjugate other people and the injustices of this world, may your reign be true. Amen.